Hello, welcome back to the Barefoot Books podcast. Will Niles, son of a king and a slave, fill his destiny and free his mother? Find out with this week's story read by actress Neve Cusack. After the story, go to barefootbooks.com to find the complete tales from Celtic Lands Collection. The Slave Woman's Son An Irish Tale There was once a mighty king of Ireland called Yohi, the Lord of Slaves. He was known as this because he captured so many slaves from the coast of Britain. One of these captives was the beautiful black-haired Caron, who was the daughter of King Skal of the Saxons. Now, Yohi fell in love with her, but did not make her his wife because his queen and chief wife, the lovely Queen Movin of the Fair Hair, would have screamed and shouted with jealousy. As it was, Movin set Curran to do the cruelly hard work of carrying water. You may wonder why the king allowed such a thing to happen, but the truth is that Movin was a witch who kept Yohi so much under her thumb that some people called him the slave king behind his back. A year later, Curran bore King Yohi a son called Neil, but because she was a slave, he was not treated like a king's son. Movin forced Curran to work hard from sunrise to sunset, drawing heavy buckets of water from the well, and she had to leave her baby alone, carefully wrapped up in a basket, while she worked. One day, a poet called Thorna was passing, and, hearing the baby crying, he took him into his arms and rocked him. Now, in those days, poets were also prophets who could foresee the future. The moment Thorna touched the child, he knew Neil's destiny. Curran came hurrying from the well. Is the boy yours? Thorna asked. Yes, he is Neil, son of King Yohi, Lord of Slaves, said Curran. But his father will never acknowledge him because, although I am a king's daughter, I am only a slave in this land. She said this so sadly that Thorna's heart was touched. The poet put the baby into her arms and asked, Daughter of the Saxon king, will you entrust your child to me? As his foster father, I will raise him as the son of a king and a queen and educate him myself. For I tell you that this boy is destined for great things. He will rescue you from slavery. Curran had lived long enough in Ireland to know that poets spoke the truth. Kissing Neil farewell, she gave him into Thorna's keeping. The years passed, and Neil was brought up to learn all the skills expected of a prince. Thorna took care to speak often of Curran, his mother, as well as preparing Neil to meet his father. When that day came, Neil and Thorna made their way to Tara, the palace of the kings of Ireland. Before they entered under the royal ramparts, 
They passed the well where they met Curran carrying a yoke with two heavy buckets of water. Neil, that woman is your mother. Go and greet her, whispered Thorna. Neil could not believe his eyes. He lifted the heavy yoke from her shoulders, throwing it to the ground in disgust. Mother, I swear that you shall never more do the work of a slave. Curran was overjoyed to see how strong and tall her child had grown. But son, I dare not stop because of the queen. You shall be a slave no more, said Neil firmly, and he took his mother to his own house and wrapped a cloak of royal purple about her shoulders so that everyone should know to treat her as a king's daughter. When Movin heard that the beautiful British slave had stopped work at the command of a poet's foster son, she flew into a fury. She entered the hall just as Thorna was presenting Neil to his father. Yohi ignored his wife, looking tenderly upon Neil and loving him for having the courage to defy Movin. The way that you honoured your mother was the true deed of a king's son, said King Yohi who had grown very tired of the four lazy sons whom Movin had given him. In the presence of this court, I recognise Neil as my son. He shall be given honour equally with his half-brothers. The Queen could scarcely believe her ears. These alarming words threatened the future of her own sons. But she kept her counsel and said craftily, my husband, the years flow past us and we must make plans for when we are both gone. It is surely time for you to decide which of your sons should succeed you as king when that day comes. Yohi was delighted that Movin seemed to accept Neil so readily. The question of who should be king after him could easily be settled now that Neil had come to Tara, he thought. But the queen had other ideas. She was determined that one of her own sons should be the next king, and as everyone knew, the queen always got her own way. The king turned to the poet to settle the question. Thorna said to the king, Under our law, only the very best candidate can be king. With boys who are not yet men, it is difficult to tell who will become wise, strong, and just enough to be the ruler of Ireland. Why not send Neil and your four other sons to be tested by the smith, Sheehan? He is known by all as a wise servant of truth. He will surely discover which of the lads is fit to be king. And so the boys were sent to help Sheehan in the forge. He was a huge, silent man who could hammer out molten metal with his bare hands. All the boys were set to work to fetch and carry and do the chores so that the smith was free to make the finest weapons in the land. Movin's lazy sons soon saw that they would not be able to shirk their duties as Sheehan noticed all that the boys did and the way that they worked, though he said nothing. While the boys were all hard at work in the forge, Sheehan silently took a flaming brand from the fire and thrust it unseen into the thatch overhead. As the black clouds poured down, filling the forge with choking smoke, the boys began to panic. But Sheehan called out calmly, Rescue what you can! One by one the boys cast round for something to carry out to safety. 
Tall Brian, the eldest, seized the hammers. Anxious Alil brought out an armful of weapons. Fat Fiercre lifted out the pail of beer and some bellows. Feeble Fergus grabbed some firewood, but only Neil had the forethought to carry out the anvil. Smeared with smoke and panting, they looked up for the smith's approval of their quick actions. But Sheehan only had eyes for Neil. This boy knows what is most important in times of danger. What is a forge without its anvil? he said to the other boys. The rest of you brought away things that can easily be replaced. Because of this, you will be replaced by this lad. If you are wise, you will befriend Neil, for he will be king, not you. Movin refused to accept Sheehan's decision. She demanded that a second test be made. King Yohi said to the smith, I do not doubt your word, but I ask you to set one final test so that everyone is sure. Sheehan looked levelly at the king. I can do no more. Let the boys be tested by the land itself, for the land over which the king rules should choose a worthy ruler. Before dawn of the next day, Sheehan blindfolded the five boys and led them into the heart of the deep ancient forest. Once they were completely lost, he told them, This night you must fend for yourselves with no one to tell you what to do and with no slaves to wait on you. I shall come and find you tomorrow. The five boys watched fearfully as Sheehan's massive form disappeared into the dense woodland. They had no supplies and no weapons except a little knife at their waists. What shall we do now? wailed feeble Fergus, who had never had to do anything for himself before. I'm hungry, Fat Fiacre complained, for none of them had had any breakfast. Anxious Alil peered into the forest darkness. Are those the eyes of wild beasts? Tall Brian said bravely, We must do the best that we can. Neil focused upon their most immediate needs. We must make spears to defend ourselves and hunt for food. Movin's sons did not much like Neil, but this seemed a sensible suggestion, so they each sharpened the end of a piece of wood and began to organise a hunt. They had never been hunting before by themselves, so they missed spearing many animals because they chattered together or because they noisily snapped twigs when they walked. It wasn't until they started to work together when it was nearly dark that they managed to run down an elderly deer and drag it back to their encampment. Brian was able to get a fire going and his brothers skinned and jointed the deer, ready for cooking. None of them had ever done this before, since it was usually the work of slaves. They were surprised at how messy and bloody they had become. We need water, said Neil. Feeble Fergus was sent to fetch water in the deer's skin, since he was useless at cutting up the meat. After much searching, he finally came to a clearing where he heard the sound of trickling water. There was a spring bubbling up, but, seated beside it, sat a terrible creature, an ancient woman who guarded it. Her skin was black as coal, her hair like a horse's mane, 
Her teeth and nails were green as forest leaves. Her body was scrawny and spotted. Her eyes glittered like a snake's. Fergus fell back in horror. Forgetting his manners, he said, You are surely the ugliest woman in Ireland. The old woman cackled. <laughs> I am indeed, but I am the guardian of this well. Fergus remembered his manners and bowed. Old woman, may I have some water? He said. You may, if you give me a kiss upon my cheek. Fergus considered her hairy, scabby cheek and said honestly, I would rather die of thirst than kiss you. And off he went back to the camp without bringing any water. His brothers were angry with him and Fiacre went to try. Again he met the old woman, but was too squeamish to kiss her. He too came back without any water, and it was Alil's turn. He soon came running back, scared out of his wits. Then Brian went to the spring, but he thought himself too handsome to kiss an old hag. Finally, Neil went to the spring. His foster father, Thorna, had taught him always to be respectful to women. But even his heart shrank when he confronted the old guardian of the spring. Do you wish to have water, Neil? He was surprised that she knew his name. I do. Then you must first kiss me on the cheek before you drink. Neil drew nearer and, closing his eyes, pressed his lips to her warty cheek. But his lips touched smooth flesh, and he opened his eyes to see a very different woman before him. Her skin was fair and young, her hair was golden and shining, her teeth were like pearls and her lips and nails were stained with red dye. Her body was straight and supple. Her eyes considered Neil with warmth. You are the most beautiful woman in all Ireland, Neil exclaimed. But who are you? I am the goddess of the land, O Neil, who will be king of Tara, said the woman. Were you under enchantment that you looked so ugly before I kissed you? he asked. No, Neil. I came here to test you and your half-brothers. Though many wish they could be kings, the duties of a king are hard and difficult. A new king takes on his kingdom as it is, however difficult its problems. If he does his very best for his land, then he will find that to be a king is glorious and rewarding. Take the water that you came for, but refuse to give any to your half-brothers until they accept you as the next king. I thank you, lady, said Neil, bowing to the ground before the radiant goddess of the land. He washed the bloody deerskin further down the stream until the water ran first red and then clear. He dipped the skin into the spring as it flowed from the earth and drew up clean water. When he looked up, the goddess was gone. He carried the water back to the camp where the four sons of Movin waited miserably. There was a light and determination about Neil that made them draw back. You may drink from this skin only if you accept me as the next king of Tara. Bloodstained, muddy and thirsty, his half-brothers laid their makeshift weapons at his feet and Brian spoke for them all. 
You won the test at the forge, Neil, and you have shown yourself superior today. We will be your loyal followers when you become king. Sheehan led them back the next day, and the whole story was told to the king. Movin demanded to know why none of her sons had accepted the test of the goddess of the land, but they merely shook their heads, ashamed to remember how badly they had behaved. Sheehan answered her. The goddess of the land knew that only the rightful heir would recognize his future wife, for the one who is king must love his land as if it were his wife. None of your sons were worthy to wed such a wife, and so they have forfeited their rights to be king. King Yohi embraced Neil. As Neil will be my heir, it is only right that his mother should live with us here. And he ordered that Karen be brought within the royal ramparts of Tara. The king seated her beside him, saying, From this day onwards, you are a slave no longer, but the queen of Tara and the queen of my heart. For your son has taught me to honour what I have been ashamed to acknowledge, and shown me the courage that belongs to a king. He ordered that Movin be taken from Tara before her threats and demands could poison his ear once more and enslave him to do her will. So, as the poet had predicted, as the smith had judged, and as the goddess of the land had proclaimed, Neil became king of Tara after his father's death, to be loved and honoured by all who knew him. For today's episode, thanks for listening. Now you can visit barefootbooks.com slash podcast to find special offers, join our email list, and listen to past episodes of the Barefoot Books podcast. See you next week. Bye.